Hi, listeners. This is Understand South Carolina, a weekly news podcast from the Post and Courier. We are continuing our lead up to November 3rd with another episode about the 2020 election. This week, voting in South Carolina. I'm Emily Williams. And I'm Gavin McIntyre. We're going to be talking with several guests from our newsroom today as we answer your questions. Thanks to everyone who wrote to us. South Carolina, like other parts of the country, has seen record-breaking early voter turnout this year as more people are eligible to cast their ballots before November 3rd because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I did that just last weekend, uh, went to West Ashley and, and cast my ballot early. I was waiting for about two hours in line, which I should have expected. It was a Saturday polling day. I should have gotten up a little bit earlier because I I got there pretty close to when they had opened and there was uh, quite a long line. Gavin, have you gotten out to vote yet? No, I haven't um, made it out to vote yet. Hopefully I'll be able to get to it this Saturday, actually. But if not, I'm hoping to make it Monday before actual election day because we'll obviously be busy covering that. Uh, Where did West Ashley did you go, Emily? I went to the Seacoast Church in in West Ashley. Um, like I said, it was a it was a big crowd, which I expected, but it was even more people than I thought, and definitely um, a mix of ages, but a good amount of young voters. Um, every time there was a first time voter um, who was you know signing in and getting ready to actually cast their ballot. Um, they cheered. Uh, so the people working at the the poll, they cheer, cheered for all the first-time voters. And I heard that at least five times um, just in the time that I was within the building in line. So a lot of first-time voters out there. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of kind of excitement, you know, uh, around this election, obviously. I mean, was that kind of the general mood with people in line or what was kind of the the vibe while you were waiting? Definitely pretty, pretty chill Saturday morning. Lots of people with their with their coffee. But I think it just shows, you know, how many how many people were out there. And also, I I have not voted early in person before. And there were probably other people in the line that that was the case for them as well. Have you ever voted early or will this be the first time? Uh, this will be my first time uh, voting early. You know, obviously, uh, in journalism, you always find yourself in different areas across the country. So, uh, a lot of times I've had to vote mail-in ballot in um, Sacramento, which is uh, where I'm from. Yeah, so we'll be answering a number of questions today um, about some mail-in voting, early voting, voting on Election Day. So we're going to kick things off with a quick conversation with political editor Skylar Kropf about some of that really need-to-know information for voters. Well, thanks, Skylar, for chatting with us today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the important information that voters need to know. Uh, so I guess just first, we're still in that early voting period. How much longer do voters have to vote early in person? You have until 5 o'clock, 5.30, depending on your location, on the Monday before Election Day. And that's considered early or absentee. And um, they don't do the satellites on Election Day because the logic being if you're in town on Election Day, you can still make it to your polling place. So that's technically the cutoff is that Monday for early or absentee voting. Yeah, and we've, we've published all those different locations for, for early voting, so we'll make sure to share those in the show notes. Who is qualified to vote in-person absentee this year? Everyone. Um, the COVID just changed everything completely. So 
Um, you can go to one of the four satellites they have set up in Charleston. There's satellites set up in basically in a lot of the counties and the more populous ones around. So you can go there and just cast your ballot just like you would at your normal precinct on Election Day. And do you have to do anything before you show up that day, fill anything out? or No, just bring your – you have to be registered before. Uh, South Carolina is not one of those states that has same-day registration. So uh, the cutoff for that registration is 30 days before the election. So bring your uh, you know, form of ID, a state-issued ID, driver's license, passport, military ID, um, and uh, your voting card, and you're, you can go in and, and cast as needed. And, of course, like you said, coronavirus has, has really changed everything – this year for for people who are voting in person absentee and then also people who plan to vote on election day in person what should they know when they're going there what might look different um should they bring anything different safety wise what about that it's funny that the, the the biggest safety thing that you can do is wear a mask although you're not required to social distance and bring your own pen because there's a lot of signing in that's going on you have to you know, prove your name and show your id and that sort of thing too and if, if you don't have this hand-to-hand transfer of pens it will save a lot in the cleanliness factor so bring your own pen and you'll know it's safe and when will polls be open on election day they open at seven and close at seven but this is important to know too as well if you're in line after seven o'clock on election day you still will be allowed to vote now, they're not going to let stragglers come in at 8 or 9 and say, hey, I'm ready to vote now. It doesn't work that way. But if you're in line at 7, no matter how far you're out, you'll still be allowed to vote. I know in past elections, I mean, we've seen people stay in line until 8 or 9 because it just took that long as a process. I'm, I'm assuming that there's going to be places like that around Charleston and the state just because it's going to be such an investment of people this time around. Right, and that's one of the big questions, right, is – just seeing the early voter turnout, whether that's an indication that there's also going to be a really big turnout on Election Day or if some of that is um, just kind of displaced, right? People voting early who would have typically voted in person. So it'll be hard to tell until Election Day just what those what those lines will look like. But important to know, right, that people in line at 7, wherever they are in the line, will be able to vote what about if you still have a mail-in absentee ballot on election day? If you receive that in the mail, but you haven't actually sent it in yet, whether or not you forgot it or for whatever reason, you're sitting there on election day, still have that mailed absentee ballot. Yeah, this is important to know, too, is um, the satellite offices will be shut down. You can drop those off now before, um, you know, the the November 3rd at those satellite offices and it'll be counted. It'll, it'll go in a special almost kind of mailbox slot so it'll be collected there but you cannot take your absentee ballot to your polling place. Um, they won't accept it there. They won't keep it. It won't be secure but you can turn it in to your county elections office and ours is in North uh, in Charleston is in North Charleston on Headquarters Road um, Dorchester, Berkeley, all the other counties have these kind of things set up. So you can take it into your elections office and make sure it's counted that way. So a lot of important information there. wanted to ask you briefly also about what planning is going on here at, at the Post and Courier. As a political editor, how has the planning for covering 
the 2020 election been different than previous years? Well, we go back to 2018, um, and I guess, you know, what our, our prep mark is is what happened in the uh, Katie Arrington versus Joe Cunningham race. It wasn't decided till after 2 o'clock in the morning, and that's largely because there were some um, problems with the countdown in um, Beaufort County, and so we were waiting and waiting and waiting. So I think now our prep now is, is you know, you really had a good idea, 9, 10, 1030 who was going to win our, our major races but I think with it being so popular and the number of absentee um, ballots they have to count we're just prepping for um, getting a, a paper with updated what we have out at our deadline and then staying here into the morning to make sure that all the races are called and all the races are covered so be sure to go to our website um, throughout the, the early morning we're going to have every race updated as much as we can. And what's the best way for readers to keep up to date with coverage leading up to then? Uh, Palmetto Politics. Um, uh, we think we have the best political coverage in the state. We have newsletters. Uh, please sign up to all these. Our newsletter is free. comes out daily, so keep a lookout for that. Great, and we will also put the link to sign up for that newsletter in our show notes. Thanks so much, Skylar. Appreciate it. Very good. Anytime. All right. Our first listener question is from Patrick Sheridan in Charleston. Here's that question. I wanted to ask if you could give an overview of the second congressional district election. I've been reading that it's a possible long shot opportunity for Democrats similar to the first district in 2018 and wanted to know more about the candidates and issues involved. So for this question, we are calling up Avery Wilkes, who actually just moderated a debate for these candidates. So thanks for joining us, Avery. Thanks for having me. This is one of the more intriguing congressional races that South Carolina has to offer. Uh, you've got on one side, uh, Republican Congressman Joe Wilson, who has been in Congress for 19 years, uh, going up against a political newcomer in Democrat Adair Ford Burroughs. Uh, Wilson is a known commodity in the second district, which is as many would describe a ruby red district, it is uh, not quite as much of a toss up as the first district is, um, you know, which which steadily became more democratic with with demographic changes. Um, but uh, Burroughs is is definitely the, um, the the most competitive challenger that that Wilson has faced in a while. Um, Wilson won in 2016 by by 24 points. He won in 2018 by nearly 14 points, both of which were, were landslides. But uh, Burroughs is, is a credible challenger. She is a 40-year-old uh, uh, Democratic lawyer. She's worked for the Justice Department. She graduated from Stanford Law, and she's raising a bunch of money. She's outraised Joe Wilson. Um, uh, she's raised nearly $2.4 million. That's 15 times more than Joe Wilson's previous opponent, Sean Kerrigan, and it's 34 times more than the 2016 opponent, Eric Bjorn. Um, uh, so, but, but she's also got to do a lot of work in the district to, to make her, 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 you know, her name known and, and to, um, uh, to get some recognition among the voters, almost all of whom have heard of, met, um, you know, or, or are generally familiar with Joe Wilson. So she's got an uphill climb, both in terms of the demographics of the district, as well as the the name value and the name recognition. So like we said, you you moderated a debate with these candidates. What were some of the key issues that were coming up? You know, certainly I think Joe wanted to, Joe Wilson wanted to portray himself as a, um, a, a pro-Trump, pro-armed forces 
um, candidate. Uh, you know, he he wanted um, his his voters to look back at his record of constituent services, of his record of voting in favor of the armed forces, um, you know, of strong military uh, action overseas. You know, he, he, he advocated for, you know, a continued presence in Afghanistan, for example. And Burroughs, on the other hand, uh, wanted to portray him as a, a do-nothing career politician. Obviously, um, I, I think it would be safe to say that Joe Wilson is a career politician. He is was in the state Senate for 17 years before he was elected to Congress in 2000. And she's pointing to some of the, some of the deficiencies and some of the problems in the second district and saying that, um, you know, the district needs a, uh, a strong advocate in Congress to bring home the bacon uh, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of broadband, um, you know, in, in terms of all of these different things that she says that the second district has, has missed out on. It's obviously a very rural district. Uh, it encompasses, Barnwell County, it encompasses Orangeburg, Richland, Aiken, Lexington. Um, you know, those areas are as rural as they are Republican. But she is trying to make the case that, um, you know, that, that Joe Wilson has not been a strong advocate for those areas uh, and, that, and that the proof is in the pudding with his record and, and with all, uh, you know, with all the infrastructure problems in that district. So Burroughs seems to be making the race pretty competitive, Avery. I guess, is this race close? I mean, do we know who will likely win next week? There hasn't been much, if any, public polling uh, of that district. Uh, I'm sure both of the, the candidates have done extensive polling. Um, you know, th- again, this is this is one that has become increasingly uh, closer over, over time. Now, whether that's a function of the candidates versus a function of the demographics changing uh, is a matter of debate. I, I think Wilson has gotten progressively um, better, uh, more, more credible challengers, which has helped narrow that gap from 27 point win in, in 2014 to a 24 point win in 2016 to a 14 point win in 2018. But I think most political operatives, um, political scientists that you'd speak to would say that the second district is still safely, uh, safely red, safely Republican. Uh, it, it was changed from safely Republican to likely Republican by Larry Sabato, a, a popular uh, political scientist uh, in Virginia. Um, but but likely Republican is is still uh, uh, kind of, <laughs> it's, it's a distinction from, from a toss-up, certainly. I, I don't think this is quite as competitive as the first district, um, which, which seems to be, uh, you know, could be a toss-up for, for years to come. Uh, but Certainly, this is the most credible challenger that that Wilson has ever had, um, or at least has had in in, in recent memory. And you know, uh, Burroughs is up on the air. She's she's running ads against him. She's she's outraced him. Uh, she's got more money on hand. So uh, this is certainly something that uh, that we haven't seen in, in years in this district. Great. Well, thanks so much, Avery, and thanks to Patrick for that great question. We appreciate it. And just to remind listeners, uh, the first district race was mentioned. That was the subject of our podcast last week. Uh, So be sure and listen to that episode if you haven't caught that one yet. Our next question comes from Pete Davis, who asked about the changes around witness signatures for absentee ballots in South Carolina. He wants to know why there hasn't been uh, any consistency. Uh, We're here with Jamie Lovegrove, a political reporter for The Post and Courier, who has been covering the changes related to the rules for witness signatures on absentee balance this election season. First, just explain what this is and what is the witness signature for. 
So a witness signature is just for mail absentee ballots. Uh, basically, when you are voting and when you are finishing up your ballot before you send it in, you have to have a witness sign it to um, verify that, that it was you who filled out your ballot. Um, and your witness can be absolutely anyone. It can be a family member. It does not have to be a registered voter. Um, it just has to be any sentient human being who can uh, attest to the fact that you, you filled out your ballot. So like that question says, the question of whether you need a witness signature or not, that's been changing off and on. Uh, what's been going on with that? It has. So it really got tangled up in the courts. Um, you know, earlier this year, uh, the legislature reconvened to deal with several election related issues uh, in light of the coronavirus pandemic. And what they decided to do was they expanded absentee voting for everyone. Uh, they allowed every voter in South Carolina to cast an absentee ballot, which is not normally the case. Normally, you have to have one of about 18 excuses uh, why, such as you know, you would work that day, you're going on vacation, you, uh, you know, you're, if you're older than 65, 65 or older, if you have a physical disability, they struck that down. They said anyone can vote absentee, but what they did not change was this witness signature requirement. The Republican majority decided not to change that. Democrats protested. They said, you know, look, if, if you live by yourself, you have to go out of your house and find a witness uh, to sign your ballot, and you could potentially be uh, exposing them to coronavirus, you could be exposing yourself to coronavirus, you know, that it just added an unnecessary and unhealthy hurdle. Um, when the legislature declined to change it, the Democrats took it to the courts. Um, they were able to get a federal judge in South Carolina to overturn the witness signature who agreed with them and said that it posed an unnecessary risk. Uh, and she did not buy the Republicans' arguments that it, it guards against voter fraud and protects voter integrity. Um, the uh, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, a three-judge panel overturned that federal judge's ruling. They said no witness signatures are required. Then the full Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned that decision and said no, the witness signatures are not required again. Um, and then finally, the Supreme Court of the United States went all the way up there, and they decided to reinstate the witness signature requirement. They said that the rules should not change so close to an election. Um, that was kind of the basis of their ruling. They, there's a long-held principle in the Supreme Court that, you know, the court should not be overturning election rules very close to an election. Um, and so they reinstated the witness signature requirement. It was after voting had already started. So some voters already had not had, had already submitted their ballots without a witness signature. The Supreme Court gave a two-day grace period to anyone who has submitted their ballots without a witness signature up to this point. Those ballots will count. But after that two-day period, anyone who submits them from that point forward would need a witness signature. You know, the point of your question, though, is it has been very confusing for a lot of folks. Um, you know, we have ha seen some ballots returned without a witness signature, probably as a result of this confusion. Uh, and so now it's on the election officials to try to reach those voters and, um, and try to, to cure those ballots. So it sounds like right now... The, the rule is definitely if someone is, is filling out that absentee ballot now, they need to make sure they have a witness signature. Is that right? That is absolutely right. If you are filling yours out now, um, really any time after October 7th, you needed a witness signature. Well, thanks so much for coming back on, Jamie, and clearing up that question for us. And just to remind listeners, uh, Jamie was on the podcast two weeks ago to talk about South Carolina's Senate race. So if you missed that one, be sure to go back and check out that episode. 
Our next question was from Linda Walker, who had requested a mail-in ballot, but was thinking about turning it into the County Board of Elections in person rather than sending it through the Postal Service, and was wondering how many South Carolina voters were doing the same, how many were casting their ballots early in person versus those who were sending it through the mail. So for this, we called up political reporter Thomas Novelli, who was on the show just last week, uh, to talk about the first district congressional race, because he's also been following along with early voter numbers in South Carolina. Uh, Hi, Linda. Great question. Uh, Right now, breaking down the early voting numbers, we've seen that about 37% of them have been uh, by mail. Uh, And that leaves uh, the other 63% have been early in person uh, at, you know, various polling sites, kind of like you would do on uh, election day. So uh, far more people are showing up in person to cast their vote on the machines than are mailing in. However, it is still a a super significant number, Um, certainly more than we saw in the 2016 election. More people are are turning towards the mail to to cast their vote. Uh, Sadly, it's not broken down specifically uh, by the South Carolina Election Commission on how many of those ballots that have been received uh, were people who received it in the mail and then uh, dropped it off in person. Uh, but we do know that there's a fair amount of people showing up to the polls with all the long lines that we're seeing, seeing a lot of the, the energy and excitement that we're seeing uh, for people showing up to, to various polling locations before November 3rd. And just so our listeners know, those numbers are updated for South Carolina twice a day. Is that right? And right now we're talking about the results as of 5 p.m. on Tuesday, October 27th. We will go ahead and put a link in our show notes so you can look up what those exact numbers are on the day that you're listening. Um, But those are updated. uh, What are those times, Tom? Those are updated at noon and 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Great. Well, thanks for answering our question. My pleasure. Our last guest today is Joe Debney, the director of the Charleston County Board of Elections and Voter Registration. And he's answering more of our questions about early voting and election day. This is the first year that we've opened a fourth satellite absentee location, and that has been the downtown uh, Charleston County Public Library location. And I was the one who was going there pretty much every day. Normally, we've had a North Charleston, Mount Pleasant, and West Ashley location, but we were wanting to offer something else to our voters by having a downtown location. And so every morning, I go down and help out our folks set up and make sure that they're ready to go in the morning and then stay stay around a little while and help people vote on machines and whatnot. And um, downtown, it's been extremely awesome just to see people getting out to vote, um, seeing how quick our line's flying, um, making sure that people have up-to-date addresses and and they understand how to use the voting system and, and just getting to talk to them all the way around. It's just been really great. And what about the the turnout that we're seeing? Of course, this this year is very different with the coronavirus pandemic and with everyone being able to to vote early if they choose to do so. How does this compare to what you've seen in the past? Yeah, the virus really has made it um, completely different. Normally, the lines would look shorter, first of all. Right now, they look a lot longer because we've had to socially distance people inside and outside. Um, it's also required new technologies. So if you go and vote absentee right now, you'll see a signature pad. Normally, we used to print 
a physical application for voters that we would touch and the voter would have to touch as well. We don't have to do that any longer. We now have a signature pad that's antimicrobial, um, according to the State Election Commission, that people can touch and sign their application digitally. Um, one of the other things is we have a long cotton swab that you can use to touch the voting machine. So the voter doesn't actually have to touch a voting machine. We clean a lot more. Um, it's a lot more processing voters and then cleaning afterwards and making sure that our staff's safe, uh, making sure that they have the protective equipment to keep them safe. So it's been a very different process than previous years. I, and I've done this since 2003. And, um, We've never seen anything like this before. Have there been any issues that you've run into just in terms of that that different volume of people coming out to vote earlier? No, we really haven't run into any issues. Um, we've had to rearrange some of the ways that we've done things. So in West Ashley and Mount Pleasant, on their first day of opening, they did have much longer lines uh, initially, and some of that was due to parking. Um, if you're in West Ashley and you go to that location, that location is in a um, kind of a strip mall with other businesses. And so we've wanted to be sensitive to making sure that we don't stop business for those businesses, but we also want to make sure that we can get our voters in and out quickly. So it has led us to change the traffic pattern uh, to make sure that we're not um, having any issues with those locations. Um, over on Mount Pleasant, it's gotten uh, really quick, even though the line is super long. Um, it moves about 25 minutes. What about on election day? Do you get any sense that all of this early voting now will kind of reduce lines on election day? Or are you still expecting a big turnout on the day? What's your sense of that at this point? So in the past, when I first came to Charleston County back in 2011, um, we had never had a off-site location. All absentee voting was done in our office off of Headquarters Road, which if anybody's ever come to our office, it's, it's a really small office. It cannot support the number of voters that Charleston County has. And so one of the first things that I did was start um, this process of having a satellite location. did one in North Charleston at first, and when that was very successful, the second presidential election that I conducted here in 2012, we did three. Um, and when we saw how how beneficial that was to our voters in Mount Pleasant and West Ashley, um, we were able to see that it also helped on election day. Generally, on an election day, a presidential election day, we have about 125,000 people show up on election day. In 2016, because of all of the absentee voting that took place prior, we saw that number on election day go down to 112,000. And because of that, the election day itself was ran much more smoothly than it had in past years because it helped those voters who came in on election day be able to get in and out much more quickly. And that's what we hope to see this time. By the time it's uh, we're all said and done with the absentee voting being over, we will have already um, about a third of our Charleston County voters have already voted. What else will be different than on and after election day because of the high volume of early voting, you know, when it comes to that, that, that back end of, of collecting those, those ballots. In terms of election day, there are certain laws that we have to follow. Um, we can't start running ballots now. We have to wait until 7 p.m. on election day until we can officially start reading those ballots and reporting on them. 
So we're allowed to start opening envelopes prior to that date, but we can't actually um, produce any results until after 7 p.m. With the number of absentee paper ballots that we've received, um, that that's going to take some time. We've we anticipated that might happen, and so in, in anticipation of that, we've gone ahead and purchased scanners from the voting machine company um, to help with that process. So normally where we would have only had one, we have three. We're hoping that because of those efforts, it will go much more quickly, um, but we do still expect that it will we'll be still reading ballots on Wednesday after the election. Right, and that's definitely one of the things that we're hearing nationwide is is maybe don't expect election results as as soon as people are used to receiving them. Yeah, I think that is important to point out because um, in the past two presidential elections, it has taken us until Wednesday to finish reading all those. So we, we're making sure that we have more people to help out with that process, but we're also making sure we have the equipment. Um, and then the last part of that, that three-pronged process, is just making sure that voters and the media know that we will have um, all the digital records. So all your election day, um, all of your absentee that people have come into these sites, those should be already uploaded on election night, and it will be the paper that we'll do incrementally. We'll send reports out on what we have so far because that's just a more labor-intensive process than um, reading in the, the digital information from the voting machines. We've been answering throughout this episode some different questions from, from listeners that they had about the election. So wanted to bring one to you. This is from Kathy Ellen, uh, who wanted to know what it means if her absentee ballot is marked as received. She wanted to know, does that mean that her vote counted and there's nothing to worry about? What does that mean if a voter sees that their absentee ballot is marked received? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, a paper ballot can be received from our office in a couple of different ways. So one way is obviously the the most logical one is through the USPS. The other one is for them to drop it off at one of our absentee locations, and then that ballot will come back to us that evening, and we'll scan that into our system. And so when it states received – what that means is there's a barcode that is um, specific to that voter. We scan that barcode into our voter registration system, and it alerts that voter that we have physically received your ballot and that it is in a locked ballot box until Election Day when we can open and read that ballot. Great. And I wanted to just wrap up by asking you, what do you want voters to know if they haven't cast their ballot yet? So a couple of things that voters should know is – Absentee voting is still going on. Uh, We'll have absentee voting going on until November 2nd at 5 p.m. And so if you are in line at 5 p.m., you will be allowed to vote. If you don't get a chance to vote via absentee ballot, then we encourage you to go on Election Day and just make sure that you look up your polling location to ensure that you're going to the correct one on Election Day. We will have all of them open. We haven't had to really shut any down because of COVID. Um, There were a few that had to get changed in the summer, Um, and that's mainly because those are some of those locations that are uh, either a nursing home or some sort of assisted living facility. But otherwise, it's been uh, consistent across the board on locations. So remembering to bring your photo ID, remembering to look up your location prior to going, so make a plan, And then go ahead and vote. 
Next week, we're talking about the election again. This time, the results. We'll talk about the races featured in our last two episodes and, of course, the presidential election. And don't forget, we have relaunched our weekly newsletter for this podcast, and we will leave the link in our show notes where you can sign up. It's free, and you'll be the first to know when new episodes are posted. Thanks again to the people who sent in their questions. And if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for this show, you can find us on Twitter at UnderstandSC. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see you all next week.